This is a Federal News Network podcast. After round one back in April, the Biden administration is out with a more detailed budget request for next year. This time, the president is detailing his plans for every single agency, the federal workforce, and yes, a 2022 pay raise. Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco joins me now with some of the details. And Nicole, let's start with that pay raise. How much and when? So, Tom, President Biden is uh, recommending a 2.7 percent federal pay raise for civilian employees in 2022. And as this typically happens every single year, that pay raise would kick in on or around you know, the first pay period of 2022 in January. So nothing immediate. I'll note, though, because we always get questions about this, that the president's budget did not mention locality pay. And when I asked the Biden administration about this, the response was that a key priority for the administration was to ensure that the president's budget incorporated a healthy pay raise for the federal workforce. And we plan to make this a priority with Congress. And this is all from an OMB official. We're currently evaluating a number of options ahead of a final decision on the amount to be communicated to Congress in the president's alternative pay plan. So what that all means essentially is that, you know, after typically after we get these budget requests, the president will then submit an alternative pay plan to Congress. And he usually has until the end of August to do so. And often this includes an across-the-board pay raise as well as a determination on locality pay. So ultimately what this means is we don't know if 2.7% is the ceiling for this pay raise that's going to come from the White House or if it's the floor. We we don't know how locality pay will fit in, if it might be tucked into that 2.7%, or if they're thinking of uh, proposing something even higher than that. Well, 2.7 is in line with what they're proposing for the military side also for uniform members of the armed services. So That's right. All right. And other workforce proposals. I mean, this has been an area of ferment for quite a number of years. What are we seeing for the 2022 proposal? So I'll say, unlike previous years, we're not seeing any major proposals on health or retirement benefits in this budget. And frankly, I don't think we would. You know, that was something that we saw from the Trump administration, an attempt to have federal employees ultimately pay more into their retirements, and we're not seeing that here. Instead, what we get is a pretty definitive outline of what the Biden administration is thinking about hiring. And so the Biden administration talks about, in several different ways, actually, how the federal workforce is getting older and why they're concerned with that. So they say that every single agency has fewer employees under the age of 30 today than they did 10 years ago. And as a whole, the federal government is just hiring fewer interns. And they have some pretty stark statistics on this as well. Agencies have hired 60,000 paid interns in 2010, but just 4,000 in 2020. And they attribute this to some complexities and problems with the Pathways program. They say that OPM will work on that and that will be an administration priority. They also say that, you know, while the federal workforce has made some attempts and some improvements, although they're slight improvements in hiring individuals from underrepresented backgrounds, the workforce as a whole still doesn't really look like the overall U.S. federal or U.S. workforce. And so they see this push, I think, to hire younger talent as a key portion of that. And they're looking to hire not just interns and presidential fellows, but regular people to join the civil workforce for a career. That's right, because as we've 
talked about about a month or so ago, Tom, you know, the Biden administration really sees some big increases in mind for civilian agencies. I mean, double digit percentage increases at places like health and human services, housing and urban development. Uh, I mean, you name it, education, treasury, and they need people to fill that. And in fact, if you look at the civilian workforce uh, FTE charts in the president's budget request, you'll see many significant increases at those agencies, EPA as well, um, you know, up between 5 and 10% at some of these places. They need the policies in place to make that hiring happen. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco. That's right, 21% budget hike for EPA, which did go down slightly during the Trump administration, 16% more for the USDA, for the Agriculture Department, even CISA, a piece of Homeland Security, is getting a big boost, $2.1 billion just for that agency. And I guess reading the documents, these are not just monies for whatever they're doing. There's a lot of new programs and new plans, new green energy investments they want to make throughout the economy and so on. So that means people. Yeah, and I think the question is going to be, can the federal hiring system live up to those goals? I mean, you know, the Biden administration talks about in some detail, not a ton. I think I'll be interested to see more of this moving forward, especially as we get a president's management agenda. But, you know, the administration mentions things like we want agencies to look at their internship programs and find obstacles and barriers and ways to fix them. Um, They See, I think internships is a real pipeline to staff some of those other uh, positions that they do have open. They're talking about creating a hiring line of assessment, which our colleague Jason Miller previously reported last month or so. And that actually is built on a Trump administration priority, getting agencies to use actual assessments, not just self-verification, that candidates are actually qualified and have the skills and experience to do different jobs. And so they see that as something that OMB and OPM would stand up in the future. I'll also note, Tom, that they mention and reaffirm the previous administration's commitment to security clearance reform. And they specifically say that they're interested in building on Trusted Workforce 2.0. That's the concept where, you know, agencies like the Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency would use continuous vetting to screen candidates. They think about the security clearance attached to you as the person, not necessarily attached to you at a job or a specific agency or contract. So it was interesting to see them reaffirm some previous priorities from, you know, the Trump administration as well. Well, they are making some strong economic assumptions for the nation. They see a lot of growth roaring back as the nation comes out of the pandemic. And therefore, there's going to be a lot of hiring competition from industry as these places come back. And so perhaps... That's of a piece, too, therefore. They want to streamline the uh, security clearance. They want to streamline general hiring. They want to bring in more people in a specialized way because if the government doesn't get off the dime, they will have trouble keeping up with hiring in the private sector. That's right. And I think telework and remote work will be a key portion of that. We don't know the specifics just yet, but, I mean, we've been hearing for months now that – Uh, agencies are interested in expanding those opportunities. And I think we'll hear more about that maybe next month or so. I'll just cite a specific passage from the 2022 budget documents. And it says, the administration, as the administration and the country move forward, it is imperative that the federal government have the tools and human resources personnel to evolve and compete with the overall labor market. The budget supports building additional capacity and capability for agencies to strengthen the workforce, 
recruit and hire talent and ensure agencies can recruit specific technical talent where there are longstanding gaps. And as we know, there are plenty of those as well. All right. And just a quick question on back to those top lines for agency budgets. Did anybody get did anybody not get an increase in the one point five two, I believe, trillion for the full operation of the federal government? Well, if you look at the full-time equivalent chart in the president's budget, you'll see that the Commerce Department uh, does actually have a little less going on, and that's probably because they just wrapped up the 2020 census. So that's to be expected. The Homeland Security Department, actually, if you look at it overall, is slightly flat. So there is, you know, that is a difference, at least compared to the previous administration's approach. Everyone else, though, sees either very slight or significant increases in their budget for next year. And, of course, this isn't nearly a done deal. Obviously, Congress has everything to do with this and and how it moves forward. So we'll see. That's right. And and just coming up next, we're going to hear from Todd Harrison of the Center for Strategic and International Studies. And uh, he'll point out, I think, that even with the flat budget, there are certain agencies that are getting increases, not huge ones. Nobody's getting 16% more in DOD, but it's a complicated picture. And of course, as you point out, now it goes to the Hill and that big grinder. I guess one of the questions that you can't answer, but I can just speculate on is, how is this all going to be digested by Congress, which has not just the $1.5 trillion that we cover, but all of these new proposals for infrastructure? How do they get the job done? Well, I think it's fair to say it's probably not happening by September 30th, and it hasn't for years. And so this is going to be a long haul to, you know, get appropriations bills out the door. It's unclear if, you know, everyone will even, every committee will even produce an appropriations bill. We'll see. It could just be one large omnibus that we get in December or something like that. As they say, if a budget is an expression of philosophy, a continuing resolution serves nobody, but maybe that's where we're headed. Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Check out her stories now and future as we dive deeper into the budget at federalnewsnetwork.com. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration And he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a BS from the University of South Carolina and an MPA from Harvard University. Rick, welcome and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style? You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, You think about a pandemic, for example, that has placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is sort of lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And and the idea that we don't have the human interaction 
which I think is very important when you think about the empathy that is a, a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment, Shane, and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented a terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America and certainly within me uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in, in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to be uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions uh, on those on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward. Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there have been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina, uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a rural school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black. Literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. And, and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision and overcoming barriers. And, and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream, which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that, that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have, uh, my willingness to, to fight for change. And that was, that was the beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead. And there have been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, 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 the massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, a very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life. And, and it conjured up, again, these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there have been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you, even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the U.S. Cha Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community, uh, inspired by that tragedy. And now we have a whole broad, historic sweeping, what we call Equality of Opportunity Initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of, of them, of, of what I could. That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who is the most impactful leader 
in your life? And what quality did you admire about them? You know, I, again, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most, and that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values. But the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream, which we often define and think of his big, I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the, the idea that leaders have vision uh, despite the challenges, is seeing a forest despite the trees, is seeing an opportunity despite the barriers. And that, that attribute, I think, is one that, that I embody. I mean, I, I, I'm very optimistic uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I, I learned and that I've tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic. And as someone who's got an extensive background of federal service uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give to feds looking to develop leadership skills? And, and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, what comes to mind there? Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the, the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and, and, the, and the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of of being a leader, uh, and 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 I, I I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants, and I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the. Secretary of Commerce, and I, I, my office was on the floor, the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Shane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet and said, and I told the Secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular, common, everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are the hard workers. That's where the work is done. And, uh, and, and, and so I think that's a lesson for me, if there was some advice and counsel I could give, is to continue to do your work. But, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, 
Thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.